Hello and welcome back to Femfei Tal, a podcast dedicated to supporting women who write sci-fi and fantasy. My name is Moya, and today I will be doing a book review. So, a couple weeks ago, I did an episode talking about Madeline Miller. She is the author who wrote Circe and the Song of Achilles. So, today... I will be doing a book review about Circe. And just going to pause here and say that that is not the actual Greek pronunciation of the name. The way that the Greeks uh, would pronounce it is Kirky. Uh, but in an interview that Madeline Miller did, she said that she just pronounces it the way most people do. Most people do to lessen confusion. So I'm going to go with that same pronunciation. And yeah, that's pretty much it with that. So this is one of her two books about Greek mythology. And Song of Achilles is about Achilles. But that one was about a very well-known figure in Greek mythology. Whereas this one while Cersei is known, just she's just not known very well. So, I'm very, very excited to talk to you about this book today. And let's take a step back in time and talk about Cersei. Alright, so just a quick review about how I do book review episodes. We're going to start with a no-spoiler segment first, and then we're going to go into a spoiler segment later. And I will have a link in the notes to skip over the spoiler segment so that you can just skip to the end of the episode if you plan on reading the book and you don't really want to hear how it ends. <laughs> So we're going to start by doing a quick uh, read-through of the synopses of Circe, and then we're going to dive into my discussion of the book. Uh, so the synopsis is from Goodreads, and I'm just going to read it word for word here. Quote, In the house of Helios, god of the sun and mightiest of the titans, a daughter is born. But Circe is a strange child. Not powerful like her father, nor viciously alluring like her mother. Turning to the world of mortals for companionship, she discovers that she does not possess power. The power of witchcraft. I'm sorry, she does possess power. The power of witchcraft. <laughs> which can transform rivals into monsters and menace the gods themselves. Threatened, Zeus banishes her to a deserted island where she hones her occult craft, tames wild beasts, and cross pa crosses paths with many of the most famous figures in all mythology, including the Minotaur, Daedalus, and his doomed son Icarus, the murderous Medea, and of course, wily Odysseus. But there is danger, too, for a woman who stands alone, and Cersei unwittingly draws the wrath of both men and gods, ultimately fighting, finding herself pitted against one of the most terrifying and vengeful of the Olympians. To protect what she loves most, Cersei must summon all her strength and choose, once and for all, whether she belongs with the gods she is born from or the mortals she has come to love. 
So, for me, when I found this book, I should say when I saw this book on social media, (laughs) I think the thing that drew me to the book the most was one Greek mythology. I love Greek mythology, but also because I didn't, I knew the name Cersei, but I didn't really know who she was. That's because she does, I mean, she doesn't appear in mythology very much. She's not talked about a whole lot because she's not one of the great gods or a, a demigod or a hero. She's, she's a witch. Uh, and, I mean, the best known place she has in, in Greek mythology literature is in the Odyssey, where Odysseus meets her on her island, which is Aea, Aea. I eh, uh, it's very difficult. <laughs> it is it's literally spelled I or not I. Goodness, it's spelled A E A E A. I'm just like what, what in the world? <laughs> it's you couldn't I couldn't figure out the pronunciation without looking it up. So that's how you pronounce it. If you're wondering, <laughs> and if anyone ever asks you if there is a word with only vowels in it, there you go. There is. <laughs> I'm sure there are others too, actually. But, like you! Anyways, sorry. Totally off topic. But, <laughs> I didn't really know the story of Cersei. I have to be honest, I think my first impression of her was from the Percy Jackson series. And that, I, I don't even think she was in that series. I think I was confusing her. Oh no, wait. Yes, she was. She was in the Percy Jackson series. So, quick uh, spoiler alert for... You know what? Never mind. I'm going to talk about this in the spoiler section. She was in the Percy Jackson series, and so that was my only exposure to her. And so I had this lens of, like, she's a bad person. And so that was also part of the reason why I was drawn to her and drawn to this book was because it's like, Okay, she was framed as a bad person in this book series. I want to read her perspective now. I'm a huge advocate of reading from the villain's point of view, quote-unquote villain's point of view, because there's always an origin story. There's always a reason for the way people act. And I'm a huge advocate of hearing what everyone's story is, not just the heroes. Because, I mean, this is so cliche, but every, not every, A lot of quote-unquote villains are a hero in their own eyes. And I think that's an important thing to acknowledge in real life and in stories. But anyways, I digress. (laughs) Took a huge rabbit trail there. But um, I'll probably come back to that in the spoiler section because that's kind of a big theme in the book, uh, to be honest. So anyways... Uh, Circe, like I said, she is a goddess, a very minor goddess, because, like the synopsis said, she doesn't really have any powers, per se. Not like her father, Helios, and not like her- and she's not, like, gorgeous like her mother, Perse. And her mother is the most beautiful water nymph that there is. Like, she- she's known for her beauty. And so- 
when Cersei comes out and she's born, like, she's made fun of her whole life for her appearance. Because she's not spectacularly beautiful and she doesn't, like, have a nice voice, according to her siblings and the other gods. But she's never really been one for that life anyways and that's kind of that's it's very clear from the beginning of the book just from her the way she talks the way she views other gods and, and goddesses it's just very clear that she's not she doesn't really fit in there and she's very aware of that fact as well but her father is helios so the titan the sun titan uh so he's the one who rides his chariot across the sky essentially dragging the sun across the sky um if you're familiar with that aspect of greek mythology so he is the one who who is in control of the sun and the day essentially he also is the one who has this flock of perfect sheep um and odysseus and his men stop on the island where his sheep are make him very angry essentially helios because they mess with his sheep so there is that uh and then like i said uh cersei's mother's name is purse she is one of the most beautiful nymphs ever well the most beautiful and a really interesting point here this is not this isn't this is not a spoiler because we know going into the book that cersei is a witch and can do things with potions um but once it's found out that she is a witch she first of all is banished to Iaea Iaea and uh because the gods feel threatened by her because they don't know the extent of her power but they also say that her mother can no longer bear children because they don't want to risk her bearing more witches or wizards, you know? And so that was like a really interesting part of the story uh, that her mother could no longer bear children. Uh, and that was really, it kind of went to show the pettiness of the gods and the fear that they have of being dethroned anyways i'll get more into that later uh so cersei had three siblings that the book talked about so the book isn't 100 percent accurate uh there because cersei isn't really a part of greek mythology that is talked about a whole lot there isn't a whole lot to go off of for the book and so madeline miller did talk about how she took some creative liberties in the book but anyways in the book she has three siblings, Aetes, Pasiphae, and Perses. I did look up pronunciations and I hope I got it right. According to the book, she just had the three and they are very interesting. <laughs> uh, like I said before, Cersei really didn't fit in with the gods and goddesses and therefore she did not fit in with her siblings either so pacify 
was not a good sister at all. Uh, she always made fun of Cersei. She was kind of like um, in league with her brother Percy's. They both ganged up on her, called her names, made fun of how her voice sounded, and just was not a good environment for her. Talk about a toxic family and some need of counseling. <laughs> but the other brother, Aetes, he was uh, Cersei's safe place, if you will, for a while. They got really close, and I mean, she... Greek mythology is interesting in the fact that, I mean, it makes sense, but the gods age very, very, very quickly. I should say mature very quickly, so she helped. I mean, she'd only been alive for, man, I can't even, I can't remember. It's been a while since I finished the book, but she helped her mother give birth to her brother Aetes. And then within hours, I think he was matured, like basically a full-grown adult <laughs> by the end of the day, which is really interesting. Uh, but they were very close when she was still living with, with her family in the halls of her father, but things quickly changed and he left and her sister left and her other brother left and it was just her left in the house of her father until everyone finds out that she's a witch and then she she is banished to this island called Aea and She's sentenced to live there by herself for forever. Which is is, is kind of an interesting uh, point and theme in the book in that at first she's, she is distraught by this sentence. Uh, and then like shortly after she's like actually this is great because i didn't feel like i fit in with anyone anyways so now i don't have to deal with any of them but then again it sinks in like i can never explore i can never like go and see anybody like i can't i can't do anything all i can do is on this island uh but throughout the book she does get visitors one of which is odysseus uh, I didn't feel this was a spoiler either just because of the Odyssey and so it is kind of a known fact that uh, for Greek mythology lovers, I should say, that Odysseus visits Cersei on her island. Odysseus is a very interesting character. I think, I haven't read the Odyssey, but the way he's characterized is really interesting. He's kind of characterized as this really guarded person and he's not who he seems kind of thing that's how he that's how he's portrayed and that's definitely how um Cersei sees him but she also sees similarities between herself and him which is really interesting and I I'll probably get into that a little bit later but I think we often with mythologies and legends 
tend to forget the fact that these characters were still people. And that while even the gods were, you know, they're, they're gods. <laughs> so they're not, immor- they're not mortals, but they're still, they still have their flaws and they're not these incredible, I don't know, figures that we paint them to be sometimes. And so when you, when you talk about Odysseus or Hercules or Achilles, it's like they're not perfect people that are all good and wonderful and, you know, pooping rainbows, you know? And so I thought it was really, really cool to see how he was a flawed person. And that is entering spoiler territory. So I'll I'll leave it at that with, with Odysseus. But that was another part that I really enjoyed about the book was, was that Miller did not shy away from showing some not so great sides of people that we tend to idolize in mythology. So, let's talk a little bit about the island that Cersei is banished to. (laughs) When she is banished, she doesn't really know a whole lot about her power. She just kind of stumbled upon it, if you will. And so, when she goes to the island, it's like, well, cool, I'm here now. Might as well just kind of experiment with what I can do. (laughs) And I mean, I guess the thing that always confused me was I don't know why banish her to an island that allows her to do more of what scares the gods that made no sense to me but they also did emphasize Miller also emphasized that this was like she was like the first known witch in in their of their knowledge and of the gods knowledge and so they're like I don't know we don't know what she can do we don't know how powerful she is And so they probably didn't realize how beneficial it was for her to be banished to that island with all these ingredients for her potions. But I think it was also beneficial in the fact that she wasn't banished to someplace else that could have given her more powerful ingredients. That's This is all just conjecture at this point. But anyways, so she lives on this island and... This is where she is for the rest of her life. She can't leave. All she can do is accept visitors if they come and live out the rest of her days. Which brings up a very interesting theme in the book. In how gods and goddesses and demigods... Not demigods, I'm sorry. Gods and goddesses are eternal beings. And so this is time is very different to them than it is to a human, a mortal. And something that kind of threw me off at first was how time was relayed in the book. And I'm I'm, I'm curious if that was on purpose be- to really emerge the reader into the sense of timelessness that gods are. Because there was a point when she was younger, living in the halls of her father, and then she's on the island and time is just passing. And she does meet Prometheus just after he has shown humans how to make fire, which would tell you that human-wise dating, dating that part of the story is very, 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 very early on 
in human history. <laughs> and then you're hundreds, thousands of years later to the Greeks. Don't quote me on that. I'm not a historian. But you're, you're all these years later to the Greeks then and to Odysseus and that, that time period. And so it's just really interesting to kind of note how there is no real passage of time. Like, they don't account for it, which is really interesting, I thought. Some of the, the tone of the book was really... I'm trying to think of the right word. There's no, like, it's not some great adventure. It's just, it's almost like a memoir, I think. It's not, but it it kind of felt like it. It kind of felt like a memoir or like a documentary or something. Like, it felt like, I don't know, just this very calm and soft tone. Just this this, this inner struggle kind of book, not so much an outward struggle. Uh, something I learned in school is that in, in any type of story, there's always going to be struggle. It's either character versus character, character versus nature, or character versus self. And so there there is this, obviously, this sense of character versus character a little bit, but Ultimately, it's a character versus self in this book, which makes it very interesting, very introspective. And it raises a lot of questions, I think, for the reader, too, which is great. I love books that do that, make us think about ourselves. <laughs> uh, it was a very introspective book, which can be a little bit difficult to get through, I have to admit. It took me a little while to read it, just because it was very slow-paced. Uh, but it was a very good book, and I would highly recommend it. I think overall the the arc of Cersei's character is really interesting to see her go from this really timid and self-conscious go minor goddess to this powerful, confident, determined witch that she is at the end of the book. And so therefore it's also kind of a self-discovery story as well, which is... I'm always a fan of those. <laughs> but I think that's kind of the extent of what I can talk about at this point without giving away a bunch of stuff. So I'm going to move to the spoiler part of the podcast now. If you don't want to listen to this part, then go ahead and go down to the notes and click on that timestamp. It'll bring you right to the end of the podcast. You can listen to the segment where I talk about what books I've been reading. Okay, so now we're in the spoiler part of the podcast, and I have a lot I want to cover here. <laughs> so, this may or may not be, nope, it definitely won't be in any specific order, so just, I guess, try to follow along as best as you can. <laughs> okay, so I want to go back to Prometheus really quick. He really sparked this idea within Cersei right at the beginning of the book because I mean he was that was one of the biggest things that happened it was one of the first things that happened in the book Cersei met Prometheus when he was being tried for his crime quote-unquote for bringing fire to humanity and she showed kindness to him 
while he was hanging from the ceiling of her father's hall while everyone else was dining and celebrating Prometheus being punished. And he he talked to her, like, they had this conversation and it was a very influential conversation for her because she's she has always been fascinated by humans at this point and then she meets this other god that also cares for humans and so that connection was really influential for her uh and kind of set the state set the stage for who she is as a character and why she has led down the path that she is so kind of like the first inkling that she has of being a witch is when she meets this man man named well i can't remember his original name so she meets this man he's a fisherman and she falls in love with him and ends up turning him into a god because she wants to be with him and once she turns him into a god he just kind of deserts her he's like well i'm kind of a hot shot now and so i'm gonna go do my own thing <laughs> um his name is glaucus but she was attempting to turn him into she she figured that he was such of such kind nature and such a an incredible person that she thought oh he he deserves to be a god kind of thing and so she gave him this this flower that was said to be blessed by the gods to turn him into something that reflected his true nature which she believed was godlike and she did and it super backfired because his true nature kind of ended up being an asshole <laughs> he was he felt self-righteous and super narcissistic and he went for um skyla or not nope sorry that's a super bad pronunciation when i was looking up pronunciations i found one that pr pronounced her name like that skyla and then another one that pronounced it Scylla, which is what I believe the correct pronunciation is. Anyways, he ends up deciding he wants to marry this nymph named Scylla, which is essentially Circe's sworn enemy because Scylla has made her life a living hell. And she gets jealous and, and seeks vengeance and puts that same flower into Scylla's kind of pool that she always hangs out at and bathes in and Scylla turns into a monster and this is this is really the pinnacle she understands now is like okay I've done something awful and she it's really interesting because when pe everyone finds out that it was her who did it At first, she's very much like nobody can know, but at the same time, nobody was reacting the way she expected. And 
it was almost like they didn't care that she was turned into a monster and she she wanted people to see that that was her true nature and the thing was that they didn't care that it was her true nature they didn't care that Scylla was a terrible being and and that angered Cersei and she once she realized that it wasn't really a big deal to anybody it just kind of came out she just kind of blurted it out it's like I did this I did this to her and like almost for attention she wanted people to know that she could do something she was powerful in her own right and I think deep down that was kind of like some motivation but she also didn't know that it was her power she thought it was just the flower uh anyways that was a really interesting aspect of the book and how it it felt kind of like she just she wanted to be recognized for what she did and not have it just glazed over in history this aspect of of her life and how she she is a god but she doesn't really fit in with with them because she loves humans she cares for them she cares about them and that puts her in a really unique position because the gods aren't that way they they talk about in the book a few times how gods don't actually care about what happens to humans they let terrible things happen so that they get more sacrifices which I thought was a very interesting take on the gods. I don't think I've ever heard that before. And so it was, she was shocked when she learned this. And that also shows how, how she actually cared for people and cared about their success and, and that they thrived and did well in life. But there's this ongoing point of view that the gods are kind of terrible <laughs> they they're self-righteous and petty and selfish and only looking out for themselves literally no one else <laughs> even some of the more quote-unquote righteous gods like athena were cast as not really that way at all <laughs> still looking out for themselves and not really caring what happens to humanity because why should they they're eternal beings it doesn't really matter to them all people are good for is worshiping them and so it was just a really interesting perspective on the gods and in revelation i think because a lot of greek mythology adaptations i guess or retellings or whatever kind of characterizes them as these gentle overlords almost <laughs> it's not really the right word or phrase but these loving father figures and mother figures essentially and that's not that's not how miller saw it which i think is great i think it's really good to introduce different perspectives into into the canon and into think about it in different ways but this kind of formed some bitterness in Cersei, which I thought was really, oh my gosh, just just the way that Miller characterized Cersei was just so good. She she did not 
pulled back. She didn't use this fairy tale aspect to the story at all. I mean, she she really went for it and really gave Cersei a, a beautiful character arc. I mean, she becomes really bitter towards the end because of everything that's happened to her and realizing how naive she was and, and she doesn't want to be taken advantage of anymore and all these things and uh, there is a point when her sister is is pregnant and gives birth to the Minotaur and invites Cersei to ask her to help with the labor, help with giving birth to the Minotaur and it was really kind of an attempt to kill her sister, essentially hoping that the monster would kill her. But, I mean, it didn't. <laughs> and so it was just a really interesting... That was a really interesting thing. But there also comes a point when, when she realizes, oh, all my siblings are also witches and, and wizards. Oh, I'm not special. And so it kind of takes away for her from this thing that she has and she isn't even the most powerful of her siblings. I think that part of the book, when she realizes that all of her siblings also have an ability to create potions and manipulate things uh, via some gift that they have, it's a point for her when she realizes she's not actually that special, but it's also a point when she decides to prove herself and, and not rely on her siblings in, in, in a way. A really cool aspect about the island, oh my gosh, she just goes wild with that island she just takes it as her own i mean it's essentially her island <laughs> but she uh calls lionesses to her and wolves which is really cool so she just has these pet lions and wolves like i would like that please <laughs> but she over years and years and years perfects starts to perfect her magic and her potion making and it is also really cool to see this this side of magic characterized because in a lot of books and in worlds it's this kind of it's this really whimsical thing like elemental magic is very very popular in books uh and so i thought this is really interesting it was more of a potion making side of it and that was magic in this book and so I think that was a really cool way to look at magic because it's not really how people look at it anymore. It's this waving wands or you have this innate ability to control things and all that, which is cool in its own right, but this was a fresh, fresh take on magic, which is really cool. But probably one of the things that Cersei is best known for is the fact that she turns men into pigs. And... This is where, this is how I knew her uh, from the Percy Jackson series, because I believe it's in the second book. If you've not read the Percy Jackson series, go read it. Listen along with Mike Schuber on the Newest Olympian podcast. He's doing a fantastic job reading through the books for the first time and doing commentary on it. 
with guests on each episode um also maybe skip just like don't listen for like 10 seconds while i talk about this <laughs> but that's how i knew cersei because i believe it's in the second book that percy meets cersei on a quest and she of course in the books she is turning people into guinea pigs <laughs> not pigs because kids book fun twist on it but spoiler ended so in that sense the in the percy jackson series she was characterized as a villain in this person that was trying to manipulate and, and trick percy and that's the, the really interesting part of this book is that it's not totally it's not totally wrong according to this book obviously this isn't her memoir or biography but what happens is that she has an experience um trigger warning here for assault and rape um she has an experience where these these men come to her island and she's just so excited to have visitors and so she invites them in and gives them food and drink and entertains their the the crew of the ship and the captain and uh she's vastly outnumbered and the captain decides that he wants to sleep with her and so he assaults her and rapes her and she has that experience and decides that's never happening again and so she she takes it upon herself to create a potion that would turn the men into pigs and i think it came to it started off with when she realized that they were going to try and make an advance on her that's when she would activate the potion essentially like say the word to activate it and turn them into pigs but and so she didn't do it until that point for a while and then after it kept happening and kept happening and kept happening she just started doing it automatically it was excuse me it was this knee-jerk reaction essentially to seeing men and that is kind of part of her checkered past when when the book comes to an end when she's like am i a good person and she comes to a conclusion that she's not and that she never was um and that she's has become this incredibly bitter person who was was started out defending herself but then ended up just always being on the offense because of of that past hurt and it was this really cool twist to see her kind of realize that and see everything click for her of like this started off as a good thing and somewhere it got very twisted and it was really cool to see her for her to realize it too and i think the the turning point really for her was when at the end of the book odysseus's son i can't remember his name at the moment but when his son and his mother come to the island in fear of their lives they the son tells uh 
tell Cersei what happened to Odysseus when he got back home. And that's when she realizes that she's not, she was never really a good person. Because she, she aligned herself with Odysseus and, and, and felt that she and him were very similar to each other. And, and, and I think she was right in that, in that they both had a lot of struggles and they both suffered a lot. And they both had many scars and they'd both become very bitter against the world and against the gods. And when Odysseus's son told her the story of how Odysseus went crazy when he got home and how he killed, he slaughtered so many people, all the suitors who were after his wife and, and so many others, she realized then that the person she thought she was was wasn't real but that perspective and her her realizing that and really that oh it was like the cherry on top for character development hey that is a big deal for me in books is is really good character development but that was probably like my favorite part of the book is, is seeing her grow and seeing where her journey took her. And that was, I mean, that was kind of the point. It, it, was, it was a book very much based more on her character and, and her life than anything else. But I rated this book four stars and I think it was just fantastic. I think a lot of people would like it, but it is not for everyone. I will say that. It, just because it is a very slow book, there's not a ton of action or adventure. There are spots that get a little tense and on the edge of your seat kind of thing, but it's not an action-adventure kind of book. Like I said, it's very much like a coming-of-age and finding-yourself and memoir-ish kind of book. So... I'd say if that's kind of something you're into or you're looking for a slower read, I'd highly recommend it. Otherwise, it might not be for you. Or maybe try listening to the audiobook instead while you're doing something else. So, I'm going to end the conversation with Cersei and switch into talking about books I've been reading lately. So, I... <laughs> just finished a few days ago literally this week actually this week i finished the audiobook for uglies by uh scott westerfeld and wow i read it when i was in middle school the series it's a four book series i read it in middle school and i loved it and i am very happy to say i still love it years later <laughs> still really good and the narrator was really good too so i'd highly recommend uglies it's about this world where it has been I think about a hundred years ish since there was this mass extinction thing that happened and society around the world just collapsed and then this new society arose and there was this essentially doctrine preached that the reason that humanity failed before 
was because everyone judged everyone based on their looks and their appearance. And so then they, they devised this operation so that once you turn 16, at least 16 in the town that the main character lives in, once you turn 16, you go undergo this operation that turns you pretty. And then you are like, that's it. You've made it kind of thing. And the main character, her name is Tally. She is, she meets this new friend called, and her name is Shay. And, and Shay kind of introduces her to the idea that maybe this operation isn't the best thing in the world. And, and Shay is is super against it. She doesn't want to go through with it. She wants to run away. And so she does. And then Tally is given an ultimatum of you can help us, as in us, the government, essentially, find your friend who ran away. And then we will turn you, give you the operation so that you become pretty. Or you can not help us and you will never have the operation. You will never be pretty. And so, uh, Tally essentially goes and tries to find her friend as a spy for the government. But anyways, it's a really good series. Uh, it's a really interesting concept and I'd highly recommend it. It's very good. And then I also have been devouring the selection series by Kira Cass this week. I never read it. I read the, the first chapter or two of the first book like a couple three years ago maybe three four years ago and I didn't like it but I mean it's only the first couple chapters and I think I read it in the waiting room at the doctor's office like I didn't even have a chance to get into it but anyways listen to the audiobooks oh my gosh I'm obsessed it's so good it is so good I mean it's it's like a it's a really quick read I have just been blowing through them I mean I listen to them all day at work because I'm very blessed to be able to do that. <laughs> and, oh, it's so good. It's a young adult dystopian romance series. And so it is a younger read, which makes it a little bit easier than like an adult novel. So it's a little quicker read, but I really enjoy it. It's, I don't typically love reading romance, but I like that it's set in a dystopian world. <laughs> and it, sometimes it's just, I like reading romance for like a lighter, easier read, I guess. Maybe not easier, but less intense in a way. But I love this series. Highly recommend it. If anyone out there listening enjoys reading romance and it does kind of fall into that fantasy realm, which is really fun. But essentially, this is the bachelor in a dystopian world. <laughs> so there's this thing called the selection when the prince of Ilia, which is the country that formed after the United States fell. And so once the prince is of age, he there's a selection to choose a wife so that he can choose a wife from the common people of Ilia. And the main character, her name is America, which I'm not gonna lie, I'm not a huge fan of that as a name, but I understand the significance. I just, I don't like it personally. Anyways. Anyways, the the main character is chosen in the selection and she is competing against 35 other girls who are also trying to win the prince's hand in marriage. 
essentially. So, I mean, it is. It is literally The Bachelor in a dystopian world. But a little bit higher circumstances. Um, yeah, so it's, it's really good. It's a really fun read. And it's kind of a nice, it's a nice fantasy read without it being super, eh, actually, I'd say science fiction dystopian more than fantasy, just because it's, there's not like a, su- there's no super high tech technology kind of thing. So it's kind of similar. No, not even similar to the Hunger Games, because that had some cool tech stuff in it. But anyways, really good. Highly recommend it. Anyways, I've been talking a lot. Please go read Circe. (laughs) It's very good, and I hope you liked today's episode. Next week, I will be having Noelle Rathnall back on the podcast, and we'll be talking about why it's important to discuss and acknowledge problematic authors and what that will look like on my podcast because I will be doing that once every other month I believe is how it will end up falling once every other four weeks essentially (laughs) and we're just gonna kind of cover what makes an author problematic some examples and why it's important to talk about them and all that good stuff. (laughs) Anyways, I really hope you liked today's episode. If you did, I'd appreciate it if you would tell friends or family about this podcast. It's the best way to help the podcast continue to grow so I can keep doing this for you guys. And you can find this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. I hope you all have a lovely week and I will be back next Wednesday. 